He said, well, I've done that to fire trucks. When they're on their way to an emergency? <laughs> I, <guess. laughs> I, I know you're in a hurry dodging traffic. Do the air horn. <laughs> 1980s now. It's not as good as Baby Bushwhacker. Definitely not. <laughs> Nothing no. as good as that. No, no, no. Which, I, look, just oh, look. We got to do the show here, but oh my God. All right. Mm -hmm. Let's let's start the show so I can say some things. All right. Hey, welcome back to another episode of 1980s Now, a weekly examination of the importance of 1980s pop culture and its Mm -hmm. influence Mm -hmm. today. Hey, my name is Will and joining me as always are my friends and co-hosts, Kat and John. I say always, but not last week. How are you guys doing? Hey, I'm good. Yeah. How are you? <laughs> we were still your co-hosts. It was just yeah. you were the yes. host in absentia mm. to our co-hostedness. That's all. True. Yeah. I guess it's the joining me always that wasn't true because I was joining. There we go. That's, you guys were you that's did right. not join us. No. And you guys you did a fantastic job, I must say. Uh, <laughs> I, look, I'll be honest with you guys. I always am. I was nervous. Only because I thought I was getting a five minute, maybe tops. Hey guys, there's still not a new episode. Will is still recovering from, you know. Well, we did that part. We did, yeah. When I downloaded that file, holy cow. I was like, I hope it's just making small talk, like, because they're just friends. And five minutes is the show. And we forgot to stop recording. (laughs) What you didn't know is that Kat and I had a uh, Price is Right bet running of how long the show would be after your cuts. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, no, hey, mostly it stayed in. Uh, Hey, before we talk about that, because I do have a thought or two about it. uh, Today's episode, though, uh, we're going to be sharing the true tale, the dark history of Rapper's Delight. (gasps) The first hip hop record to make... Uh, the top 40. It's a story yeah. that I call Good Crimes. Mm. Oh, yes! I love that. Good Crimes. Before we do that, we're going to review current news stories related to 1980s media, including Hasbro is rolling the dice on Monopoly. Uh, Ghostbusters is trapped in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. And Romero's zombies are still alive. Uh-huh. Or maybe just two of those. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> we shall uh, see. Time codes are probably in the show notes uh, if I'm still doing that. And you'd like to skip around. <laughs> so, yeah. Hey, you guys did a great idea. I, look, I messaged you. It was driving me crazy that I wasn't with you guys because so many times, and I know Kat said she had this experience listening to two, two of us, to John and I, mm-hmm. to sure. John and me. But, gosh, there's so much, so many times I wanted to chime in. I couldn't take it. <laughs> It got to a point, I was like, should I just record myself listening to them so I could have that track? That would have been really funny, actually. I think you could- Like an editor's that. commentary on yeah. top of whatever we had recorded. Yes. Like I just- Well, then I'd be like, look, if you could do that, you could have showed up for the recording, bub. Mm. Well, <laughs> well, it was days later. That's, that's, it, that's fair. It would have been like- Graffiti is the plural. Oh, oh, you see, it's not that I didn't know that it's that you lay those little breadcrumbs yeah. of doubt to make uh-huh. the listener want to engage oh. and it worked. Yeah. See, <laughs> I'm actually <laughs> omniscient and have no blind spots. <laughs> you, say, you lay those breadcrumbs to lead cat into a trap where she tries to make up the plural of a word that she has no business. Anyway, thank, thank you so much guys for holding down the fort. I super duper appreciate it. Uh, you were right. You're welcome. It, it was, was uh, difficult to imagine uh, just 
not having a show another week when it wasn't planned. Oh, that's right. All right, hey, <laughs> I'm not even get started because you could take me down a path. I had so many things about the graffiti I wanted to say and something else. And blah, I wanted blah, blah. to hear that. That was that was your opening. I we to have hear six pages of true crime. We're going ahead. We'll save that for another. <gasps> oh my god, I forgot. Right, John. Oh, we're supposed to. John's got to be done by nine. All I'm right, so hey. <laughs> Sorry, now you know why I'm putting it all out. All right, hey, let's get caught up on 1980s news. At least we're all on the same page. Hey, uh, this week in 1980s news, as reported by GameSpot, the Mo- Monopoly movie is back on. So I, I don't know if this made it in the show or not because uh, hmm. we, we did talk about the you know the new the other products that Mattel is turning into films following the success right. of Barbie. Right. I, yeah. I think in passing we may have mentioned some of the Hasbro properties that. Uh, Made it or didn't made it, or maybe it got cut. But anyway, Monopoly yeah, is definitely this. one of them that we've heard about for some time. Uh, but we heard or some time ago, I should say, and then heard nothing else. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it turns out that a movie based on the Monopoly game is going forward. But that is, I don't know. Of all the games, <laughs> yeah, Monopoly right. It's basically going to the bank and getting a mortgage. That's a, <laughs> that's a movie? How's that? The white yeah. knuckle tension of signing a deed. You, you know, yeah. You just made me think, like in movies, they don't stop to show someone how to eat a meal or go to the bathroom no. or sleep. No, nope. But this is like what that is. It's all the stuff- they yep. just assume you know happens like someone had yep. you had to buy your house or mortgage you right right what you see job. is someone walking in their beautiful new house you yeah. don't see them you know bidding and right. doing escrow <laughs> that's yeah. garbage but that's right. that's that's what monopoly is about oh that's my true. goodness well wait do you hear this bullshit plot that we had plot <laughs> summer we had oh from 2015. boy so this is how we know though because um Hasbro CEO Chris Cox confirmed it as part of a news that Hasbro is selling its E1 film and TV business to Lionsgate for $500 million. Now, mm-hmm. the press release that included this announcement, I'll be honest with you, was so confusing to me uh, yeah. because uh, they, 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 t- they refer to company. They, they use general terms after they've set up Hasbro and Lionsgate. And so then, they, you know, when they say company, I'm like, which company? <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but I'll explain it as best as I can. Anyway, the, mm-hmm. like I mentioned, the, the Monopoly movie's been in, in the works for at least as long as 2015 when we first heard that Kevin Hart and Ridley Scott were attached to it at one point. Okay. Uh, but we haven't heard anything since. But mm. as part of this press release uh, announcing this sale, Cox said, quote, we look forward to partner- partnering with Lionsgate especially on a movie adaptation of Monopoly, end quote. Part of that also that they mentioned is that, you know, and it's not a surprise given the success of Barbie uh, recently, is that they have a whole, you know, ton of, just like Mattel did, they're looking at all their IP, all their board games, everything, to see what they could turn into a, a film or TV show. It, it sounds like a game was being played about the movie Monopoly. I can imagine you have these three big yeah. dice. One mm-hmm. says actor, one says director, one says IP. And somebody rolled it like, all right, we got Ridley Scott. Yep. We got Monopoly. Anybody want to guess? Anybody? Kevin Hart. Oh, oh good luck making this work. Go. Yeah, the company says, and this is why I got confused because they talked about all this, how they were selling this stuff off to Lionsgate for 500 million, including a number of employees in this particular department and all these different properties. Mm-hmm. But they uh-huh. said the company, presumably Hasbro, Right, will retain, that's why I'm seeing Hasbro, will retain a team of creative development that will focus on shepherding th- over 30 Hasbro-based products that are currently in development. 
Oh my gosh. Some of them we know about. Transformers, of course, G.I. Joe, they did some films. D&D, okay. mm-hmm. you know, is uh, mm-hmm. Hasbro up through, somehow it's Hasbro. Magic the oh, Gathering nice. apparently is in development. Okay. Play-Doh okay. already is some kind of TV show. Uh, but yeah, we've got uh, several hmm. others as well. So here's what we, again, while we don't know anybody's attached to it any longer, except those couple of names that were attached over like nearly a decade ago, this is how the official plot synopsis reads. Mm-hmm. Quote, the story centers on a boy from Baltic Avenue who uses both chance and community in a quest to make his fortune, Mm -hmm. taking him on a fun adventure filled journey. It's about making your own luck. What makes you truly rich. And of course, avoiding jail time. Uh, this could be the back of the game box. I mean, this tells you this nothing. sounds like I mean, somebody did a bad Mad Lib and just used yeah. all Monopoly words. <laughs> <laughs> He's from, proper now, Baltic Avenue. Okay, that's yeah. that'll do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is so vague. He uses both chance and community? How? What, are they cards? Cards? Or yeah. Is it a metaphor? A, is he crowdfunding his adventure with her community? <laughs> yeah. And, and they capitalize so it. As if they are, rela- you know, obviously they're, rela- they're referring to the cards, but capitalizing the yeah. plot summary, summary makes it almost sound like they're like you were talking about the magic eight ball or something, mm-hmm. something with mm-hmm. imbued right. with some kind of mystical properties. Yeah, we, we can't all be Jumanji. Come on now. Every yeah. board game doesn't have to be. Is that the trend? So it was all the superheroes, <laughs> right? You had to do mm-hmm. that for a while. Now it's all the video yeah. games. We got to get all that out of our system. Mm-hmm. Up next, Papa yeah. Medic Trouble, the movie. Yeah. Wrong. I want to see Connect Four. And Twister mm-hmm. movies. Mm. Connect Four is about sibling rivalry. Pretty sneaky, sis. And she pulls out a bazooka. <laughs> Twister, I could see being like a Squid Games kind of thing, maybe. Oh. Or the human centipede. Oh. Yeah. Maybe a combination. Ooh. I thought it was a Shades of Grey type uh, erotic thriller. I was. <laughs> oh, Twister. Oh. oh, no. <laughs> I was trying to. Wait, we already had a Twister movie. Maybe I don't want to see it. Helen that. Hunt and Bill Paxton. <laughs> um. I don't see how it was related. Left hand blue. There goes yeah. the shed. I don't know. <laughs> That's a cow floating. How I guess but. I need to Google this. Yeah, do that. <laughs> While you're doing that, let me hey. tell you then, other 1980s news, and as predicted mm-hmm. by John months ago, Ooh. Ghostbusters Afterlife sequel has oh. been delayed. <gasps> oh, yeah. Busting goats will have to wait. Busting goats? Did I say goats? Busting goats. Goats will make you feel good. John, you're from the South. I don't think you could say that kind of thing and not incur follow-up questions. Or jail time. Man, I ain't busted goats since I was 12. I found this abandoned RV in a field full of goats. I had my birthday party out there. Became a man. Thrice. All right, look, Bustin' Ghosts will have to wait until the WGA and SAG-AFTRA get paid fairly. Sony announced a a slew of delays to its film slate in the wake of the union strikes, and among them is the upcoming Ghostbusters sequel, which may be called Firehouse, like we talked about a few weeks ago. That's the code name, right? Yeah. The nickname. Yeah. Yeah. It was originally slated to release Christmas this year, Mm-hmm. Uh, and we were thrilled and skeptical. And John said, you know, any day now, mm-hmm. we're going to push this thing back. And there was, there was also some art release that suggested like the logo was frozen over. Like maybe mm. there's something. Uh, oh, right. Something chilly yeah. related. Yeah, yeah, we had some theories about in story why those would be. But 
I wonder if mm-hmm. the setting, you know, is winter and the fact that it was Christmas was important. Mayhaps. It's now going to be released March 29th, uh, okay. 2024, which is Easter, according to this. So happy mm-hmm. Easter, everybody. We'll um, see. <laughs> now, yes. because it's Easter and because some, you know, because Christians believe that Jesus rises from the dead on Easter. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> and you got Ghostbusters. <laughs> Let the memes begin. <laughs> well, they were sucking that dude into a ghost trap. <laughs> it's been really nice being on this show with you yeah two. hey send your emails to john jenxgrownup.com not the correct place suddenly he has an email as we've discussed many times before it seems the sequel is going to re- reunite the original cast with the afterlife cast plus a few new folks and return to New York City, where the original films were, were set, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I don't recall knowing before, though, is that uh, what previous uh, director, the film's previous director, Jason Reitman, who's now writing it and producing it, mm-hmm. uh, said that, uh, according to this article, he teased that we'll see the return of some familiar faces in the sequel, including Vigo the Carpathian. So, yeah, I don't remember huh. knowing that yet either. I hope that's not the big bad. I hope that's just... Yeah. An ancillary character, and we happen to see them, yeah. Because I mean, we already did that. We already yeah. went back to the well and kind of remade that first mm-hmm. movie. Don't go back to the well and remake the second movie now. You know? <laughs> That's yeah. what I'm wondering. <laughs> and to that, uh, to that end, mm-hmm. I, I was excited the fact that it wasn't set in New York City, the last one. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was going to be. Now we see whatever the phenomenon happens in uh, the, that sequel, Afterlife. Yeah creates situations that have to be dealt in other places around the world and not other. necessarily in New York. So maybe New York's the headquarters and, mm-hmm. you know, um, but it does seem like a lot of, a lot of the shooting has been done on a New York set mm-hmm. or looking, mm-hmm. you know, sets that were built to look like New York. Well, it's just what they showed us, right? I mean, yeah. you've got to have that set. That doesn't mean that's where everything takes place. Yeah. Could be smoke and mirrors. They're like, yeah, yeah, we're in New York, but maybe they're also filming in other places. It could be a flashback. It could be a time Ooh, travel. Yeah, it could yeah. be a, just, you know, yeah. if Indiana Jones did it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hey, you remind me that D- Dan Aykroyd's yeah. original script that was, you know, they, they, they did away with right away because it was just too expensive to make included time travel. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. that's right. So, yeah. That's right. Yeah. In fact, I think his premise for the Blues Brothers was about a pair of time traveling crime fighting brothers. <laughs> but, no, really. Before it got watered no down, kidding. something in the back of my head. Huh. Makes me think he had this like interstellar and it was like, are you kidding? Wow. You know, it's like you can either do all those special effects or you have a cocaine budget. And so yeah. he went with the Blues Brothers that we yeah. know now because that's how Chicago huh. rolls. I wonder if that's why they stuck Nazis in it, you know, so he could have sort of a time travel in a sense. <laughs> Illinois Nazis. Uh, one actress who's already confirmed she's not involved is Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. Revealed mm-hmm. she wasn't asked to return. Now, hmm. maybe that's a fake out. She did do that uh, after credits thing with Bill Murray in the last yeah, film. Yeah, she did. Right. Yeah. So I can't see why mm-hmm. they wouldn't ask her. I mean, mm-hmm. not that they have to pack everybody back in there, but I don't know. Whatever it is, I'm going to see it. Doesn't really this is all just speculation in absence of, of willing to watch it, which is what we would do rather than talk yeah. about it if we could. <laughs> and of I bet course, it's going to push I, beyond March. You just wait. Mark my words. March oh. is just the next huh. signpost that's going to move from again because- Marking the words. Who knows when the strike's going to get over. Yeah. Well, Yeah. 
You're right, John. I mean, how could they even set a date down? I guess they have to probably for business purposes. Yeah, I was confused by that. Yeah, but I guess, okay, so they have to, okay, let's Mm. see what happens. We'll pick this date and see if it sticks. Now, of course, Gordon Weaver's not coming back. We don't know exactly who's going to be back, but I'm still holding out that Rick Moranis might make an appearance. I did do some digging to see if I could find any more because I talk about this every time I talk about Ghostbusters. (laughs) And I did find an article from 2015, an interview he did with uh, The Hollywood Reporter, where he explained why he wasn't going to be in the Melissa McCarthy-helmed reboot. Mm -hmm. Because if you recall, a lot of the originals made, maybe all the originals, made uh, cameos in that film. Uh Uh-huh. He said, quote, it just makes no sense to me. Why would I do just one day of shooting on something I did 30 years ago? End Hmm. quote. That said, he also did confirm, however, that he wasn't retired because we thought for a long time, many of the reasons he may not be showing up in these, these mm-hmm. films or in Ghostbusters is that he's just not acting anymore. But he said, no, right. he's just, quote, picky. And I don't blame him. I think he was right. Those cameos in the, yeah. the Melissa McCarthy one, it was throwaways. They weren't mm-hmm. even, mm. it was yeah. just, let's wedge this actor into some nothing role and yep. go. Yeah, yeah. So it was, if it felt icky. I didn't yeah, like it. I agree. So, oh, yep. Good okay. on Rick Moranis for not going with the paycheck and just saying, I'm not going to do it because it doesn't make sense because he was he was correct. Mm-hmm. Hey, and finally, mm-hmm. and as reported aptly by Deadline, George Romero's final zombie movie is moving ahead. Posthumously. Oh. Uh, George Romero, if you don't know, he's considered the godfather of zombie horror, having famously created Night of the Living Dead, the 1968 zombie classic that launched the genre. Mm-hmm. So I'll pause there. Have you seen Night of the Living Dead? Are you talking to me? <laughs> Are you talking to me? <laughs> Different. How that's not the Godfather, as it turns out. <laughs> Are you talking to me? Have you seen it's Night of the Living Dead? On my watch list. Oh, Christ. Okay. I got to see this watch list. She just keeps saying that. John, you know there's no fucking list. She's writing something it quickly. Up. She can I'm pulling it up right now. I'm pulling it up. Right she, right. pulling she it has up. her anyway, Before, right before now, uh, Romero passed in 2017. All right. Let's see how long this list is. Oh, my God. That's impractical. <laughs> yes. There's just no way. Yes, I know. Page you should have just page put a link to IMDb. <laughs> so you, what you couldn't see is it's on her phone and she flipped it and it looks like looks like somebody just spun the <laughs> spun the wheel at the price is yeah. right. right. <laughs> he just kept going and kept going. I had at least three, three or four scrolls there. <laughs> I think you should send that list to John and I and let's let us do some, you know, uh, let's prune it and we can prioritize for you. Right. This goes to the top. Move Mm -hmm. that to the bottom. Uh, Yeah. We can uh curate it. Hey, before Romero Romero passed in 2017, uh, the horror icon and also an uncle to one of my dear friends. Oh, Kat. And Kat, you know this person too. I won't say who she is. But... Uh-huh. Yeah, one of our mutual friends, Kat, this is her uncle. Oh. Uh, before he died, he had written a treatment for Twilight of the Dead. Mm. He regarded the film as the conclusion to his epic saga, which included six movies and various spinoffs and remakes. Now, most of those I haven't seen. Of course, I've seen Night of the Living Dead, Dawn of the Dead, mm. Day of the Dead. Was there a brunch of the dead? There's something. <laughs> brunch of the dead. Huh. The, of course, I remember the first two very, you know, fairly well, because those are right. the most impactful. Yeah. The others were kind of goofy. Tea time of the dead. <laughs> were you going to say you'd seen Dawn of the Dead Cat? Is that where you were? No. Oh, it- no. <laughs> Don't be silly. <laughs> Come on. Um, isn't this series where the brains, more brains nope. comes from? Oh. Nope. I knew you were going to say that. Rats. No. That is from Return of the Living Dead, which is not related. Oh. 
Well, except for, I believe oh. a producer from Night of the Living Dead actually went on to create those films. And he had the, like a, like a oh. he was at odds with Romero and had a part way. So he could call it Return of the Living Dead, but it couldn't be, you know, something like that. I don't know if I do have this on my watch list. But they're not really related. Really, no. <laughs> well, you probably have Return of the Living Dead. Now, those movies are good, too. They're just silly fun. Oh, okay. Night of the Living Dead, though, is, I mean, gosh. I mean, it's oh. like, you know. Hitchcockian and it's, and it's in black mm-hmm. and white and it's uh, yeah. sort of Ooh. the quality of the filmmaking. I mean, it's, it's like a bottle film. I mean, it could be a play. Oh. Cause most of it's set in just yeah. one place. Oh yeah. Yeah. It'd be Little easy cabin, to right? transfer. Yeah. Huh. And it's just about the sort of ratcheting up of paranoia and fear and, you know, mm-hmm. these people that are, are yep. sort of hunkered down in this one spot. Oh. It's really cool. Oh, wow. Dawn of okay. the Dead, you know, makes a statement about consumerism in the 1980s. It's set in a mall and it's, you know, yep. zombies walking around doing whatever they did when they were alive. And, but anyway. Okay. Well, it, um, it doubles down <laughs> on the best part of zombieism in general, which is yeah. the bridge between when you're bitten and when you turn, when you have to mm. deal with the humanity mm-hmm. and the sacrifice <sighs> and the resignation that's right. that's for me the most impactful part of zombie movies. Yeah, the, the scary zombies, the gory zombies are awesome. Yeah, running from them is cool. <laughs> it's the time between bitten and mm-hmm. absolute full blown when Ooh. you can still talk about the fact that I know it's about to happen. It's like <sighs> it's like walking to the gallows. You know you can't mm-hmm. stop it, but you can talk about it for a while until it happens. And what do you do yeah. about it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. man. Yeah, and that trope, Kat, you're talking about the brains trope is from those other films, but that trope yeah. came, started with Romero's Night of the Living Dead because that's a big part of it. I believe it's the family, one, the family that's there has a daughter and the, uh-huh. the question is whether or not she's been bit and what are we okay. going to do about mm-hmm. it. Okay. Yeah. And of course, mm-hmm. the father mm-hmm. is like very protective of her, you know, whereas okay. the other people are like, if she's bit, we got to just gotta kill her. Mm-hmm. Right, just, right. yeah. But yeah, yeah. That, John's right. I mean, that's, uh, Anyway, with regard to this film, uh, the George A. Romero estate is teaming up with an LA-based financier, uh, producer roundtable. Uh, the script's now finished, having been taken on by Joe Netter, Robert Lucas, and Paolo Zelotti, who worked on the treatment with Romero. So that's good. They had a connection to the, the mm-hmm. man while he was still alive, which is yeah. good. This one's going to be set on a tropical island and will delve into the, quote, dark nature of humanity from the perspective of the last humans on Earth who are caught between factions of the undead, unquote. Mm. Uh, and like the other films, it's uh, being framed as a socio-political commentary. Sounds very serious. <laughs> also involved is the manager of uh, George Romero's estate is his wife, Sus- Susan Ro- Suzanne Romero. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, mm-hmm. the strikes, the strike, as we mentioned, with regard to Ghostbusters has stalled that film and is also currently stalled uh, work on this, but they are ready to move forward. Like Monopoly. <laughs> yes. Mm. All the dice. What do we get? Can you even imagine the log jam? Like once, assuming this all gets uh, cleared up, how many productions are just sitting in stasis right now waiting to spin mm-hmm. back up? There's going to be a dearth of available just hands that could possibly do it all. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Stuff's mm-hmm. going to fall by the wayside. There's gonna be, you have to prioritize what's more important and then it's going to be timely anymore. We're going to lose it. But that's the nature of the situation. Like yeah. my watch list. <laughs> Not unlike cats watching. Not enough time. It's, it's going to be untimely. Things are going to have to fall by the wayside. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Hey, that was 1980s news. Hey, our independent podcast is brought to you every week by folks just like you. So if you'd like to help us out, please 
follow us on the podcast platform you're listening to right now. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Share an episode on Facebook. All of these actions just take a moment and are 100% free. But if you'd like to chuck in a buck and help us keep publishing the show week after week, please visit us at 1980snow.com slash support to find out how you can send us a dollar or two. And thank you so much. It means a lot. All right. Hey. <laughs> so, yeah, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to delve into the story about uh, Rapper's Delight, the, the first hip hop record to break the top 40. Uh, now, it's not the first hip hop record, turns out. There was actually one that came out a little before that. Not as well known, but it is clearly rap. And it is, it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it sound very familiar to you as far as uh, the mm-hmm. style okay. of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it, it, this, uh, the, the honor goes to Rapper's Delight. Anyway, it's this, mm-hmm. just like I say, many times whenever we do these true crimes. Uh, there's various accounts for some of these elements in the stories. I went with the one that's most interesting, unless it was contradicted by some official, you know, story. <laughs> okay. Um, and uh, this is maybe the longest one. So we got to just get, Uh-oh. You, get it's going. interesting to me. I hope it's interesting to you. Oh, I can't uh, help but also I say? It's not funny. It's not funny. If you're thinking it's funny, it's not funny. <laughs> oh. It's All right, so l- 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 let me run this down right quick. Mm-hmm. It's overly long. Yep. It's not funny. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And and your voice isn't 100%. This this should go great. Yeah. Hey, thanks everybody. We'll I'll talk to you next time on 19 yeah. For everyone who's checking out. Now for those that are back. All right, so here we go. All right, so Both uh, of you, thanks for staying. Let's see. Uh, so let me start the music and then we'll start going. As always, stop me. You got questions, comments, whatever. We got a work cut out for us, Ken. Yes. <laughs> Ooh. Just enjoying the music. I am too. Nice. In January of 1980, just one week into what would be a decade full of firsts, the Billboard 100 would memorialize the first hip hop track to hit the prestigious Billboard Top 40. After nine weeks of dominating radio and clubs, the song climbed steadily from number 84 to number 36. But the jubilance, ev- the jubilance evoked by the popular jam was in contrast to its cynical creation. While the lighthearted lyrics of the song celebrate hotels, motels, and buttered toast. <laughs> the behind-the-scenes story is one of unacknowledged talent, stolen art, and pilfered royalties. This is Good Crimes, the true tale of Rapper's Delights. Good Crimes. Oh, yes. Oh, this is... <laughs> I'm already exhausted. (laughs) (laughs) To be continued. This is a miscalculation Uh, on my part. (laughs) Deep breath. (laughs) By 1979, Sylvia Robinson's career in music played out like a warped record. Two decades of highs and lows. (laughs) But after a string of setbacks, Robinson's first record label appeared to be fading out. All platinum records had collapsed. Uh. That's probably a metaphor I could use. I, I started this warped record. Uh-huh. All platinum records said it collapsed. It should have been mm. something else, cracked, shattered. Yeah. Ironically, all platinum records, no platinum records. 
Oh, at this company. <laughs> Meaning there's no platinum involved in the making of them? <laughs> right, that, the company. Yeah, yeah. You're not wrong, John. You're not wrong. I, I know. Oh. And for an interesting reason, too. Oh. I mean, it was in the midst of this tumult that Robinson visited Harlem World, one of the few New York spots to bring the burdening street culture of beats and rhymes indoors. Arriving for a party, she was floored by the sight of Lovebug Starsky, rapping over the break of the hit of the summer, Sheik's Good Times. Fresh from a religious retreat to salve her burdened soul, Robinson decided that she had found her deliverance. Something, perhaps someone, the voice of God maybe, told her, put this on wax. <laughs> Curiously, Robinson had a similar experience 20 years earlier. Huh. You know, I realize I'm making a mistake musically here. Uh-huh. I did want to keep this like a party kind of jam, but usually it's spooky music into a, sp- a still consistently spooky break song, you know? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. I'm loving it. Now so I turn to a little jam. Yeah. I'm so what we it. have is spooky hip hop, but then yeah. the, the breaks are <laughs> full on party hip hop. That's okay. That's I think it's great. The br- uh, okay. I think it's great. Cat approves. Mm-hmm. So we're all, mm-hmm. all right, there you go. Cat mm-hmm. approved. Is <laughs> that a whip? I, yeah, that was, that was me stamping. <laughs> that was a stamp. <laughs> like it's breaking the sound barrier. What a fast yeah, stamp you have. She's like, do it. Just do it. <laughs> you got it worked out. <laughs> By 1956, Sylvia Robinson was already poised to be a music icon. Hmm. A rising star, she and her partner, Mickey Baker, shared a bill with Bo Diddley at a concert in Washington, D.C., from backstage at the Howard Theater, the duo watched Diddley perform with guitarist Jody Williams, who played a captivating riff. Inspired, Robinson and Baker asked Diddley for permission to use a medley in a new song. Mm-hmm. And with Diddley's... <laughs> just saying Diddley over and over again is meaningless to me now. It's, it's, it sounds ridiculous. It's not even a word. <laughs> Diddly. Semantic. It, what's that called? Semantic yeah. uh, something. It's a long yeah. word. You learned that in Ted Lasso. <laughs> yes, I did. Right. <laughs> it, True. And it's a it's a silly word the first time you say it, let alone the tenth time. Yeah. Oh, diddly. Yes. Diddly. Oh, diddler. <laughs> Doesn't mean diddly. You can't stay serious. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. And with Diddley's blessing, Baker and Robinson, who performed as Mickey and Sylvia, recorded "Love Is Strange." Released in November of 1956, it became their biggest hit. It dominated the charts, sold more than one million copies, and was certified gold. There was a problem with Diddley's approval, however. Uh-oh. He didn't write the music alone. We have a Diddley dilemma on our hands. Quit diddling around. Diddlemma, actually, if you want to shorten it. A diddlemma. I like that. Oh, diddlemma. Diddlemma. Indeed, the guitar line that had so enthralled Mickey and Sylvia was composed by the very guitar virtuoso they had witnessed playing on that Washington, D.C. stage. In 2022, Jody Williams recalled, quote, I remember playing on stage and seeing movement behind the curtain. There, I see Mickey Baker stealing all he can get. Bo ended up letting Mickey and Sylvia have that song, 
Uh. To this day, I haven't seen a dime of that money. Although he eventually filed a lawsuit, Williams lost the case. And following that experience, the promising guitarist abandoned his musical career. Sadly for Williams, in 1987, the song's popularity resurged when it appeared in one of the most successful films of the year and on the movie's companion album, which, at 14 times platinum, is one of the biggest selling soundtracks of all time. You didn't say it, but that's the Dirty Dancing soundtrack, yes? Oh, yeah. Yes. Sorry, yeah. yeah, that's from Dirty Dancing. <laughs> Thank you, sure. Dirty Dancing. I'm sure recognize it. I mean, it's either yeah. that or Pulp Fiction, but Pulp Fiction was the 90s, I think. So you said 80-something, so. It was right. Dirty Dancing, yep. and then there was another. It was in Casino. Casino. Ah, that uh, one too. That yeah. one probably not 15 times platinum, but okay. Yeah, Jody Williams, unfortunately, uh, he, he went on to become like a work at Xerox and became a technician of, of, of uh, electronic equipment. Years after staying out of the music business, he made somewhat of a little bit of a comeback a few years ago, but then sadly he passed away just not too long ago. Can I have one minute? Yeah. I'm sorry. There's something that I need to deal with. Is that I, what's I, going on? Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I, I'm i so sorry, and I will be... Right, I'm just going to mute. Hang on. I'm sorry. Listen, you mother but she can still hear you, so now she... <laughs> no, but she muted us, so we can't hear her. Yes, that's true. I know. John, I'm off the first page, just FYI. <laughs> but just again, note all these delays are because you can't. Oh, she's actually having to make a phone call. Wow, she's really just. What could this be? I'm sure it's important. It's a family thing. Yeah. Because somebody was texting her and she got distracted. Oh, so oh okay. I didn't see that. And then he was murdered. <laughs> You got to keep going. John's got a thing to do. I know. I'm really sorry. Is everything okay? It's fine. It wasn't that even that big a deal. Like the neighbors needed something and I was trying to call my son oh, to okay. deal with it and nobody was asked. Did they, did they need a cup of sugar? Uh, they, <laughs> they needed sugar. They actually they did. Are you? What? Literally, I am That's not important. kidding. No, they didn't. It's, it's not important, but these neighbors are amazing. No, it is important. If you're in the middle of making something. You well, know, well it's it, that sort of important. And yeah. they're amazing. We love them so much and they do so many nice things for them. Yeah, let's do this. All right, we're doing it. We're doing it. Let's play creepy music. Uh, whatever. I don't know what this is. Hey, here we go. I love, love is Strange gave Sylvia Robinson a hit that proved impossible to follow. Fortunately, Robinson had the talent and the ability for a plan B, songwriting and production. Unfortunately, there was little precedent for a woman in that role. Mm -hmm. And in what was most likely the result of sexism, and not some karmic retribution for screwing over Jody Williams, <laughs> Robinson's <laughs> own early production work, which included a Grammy-nominated song for Ike and Tina Turner, went uncredited. Mm. Being denied recognition throughout her secondary career may have fueled Robinson's drive in the decades that followed, through boom times to bankruptcy and back again. But 
Her successes did not satisfy a hunger for credit that ultimately metastasized into greed and tarnished her reputation. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) I'm out of water. That was from the hungry. (laughs) Her hunger. I already said that. <laughs> mm, metastasized hunger. That's mm, tasty. <laughs> Brains. I just put a request in for another glass of water from Uber Eats. All right. <laughs> I was going to say, are you ordering water from Uber Eats? Wow. <laughs> yes. I need water. <laughs> oh, it's not even cold by the time it gets there. It's okay. In 1968, Sylvia and her then husband, Joe, leveraged Sylvia's experience and some alleged mob investments to create all Putnam records. Sylvia built the roster, signing groups like The Moments, while Joe handled the operations and scavenged for projects to promote. Their combination of intellect and intuition garnered a string of classic soul hits for the new record label. But in the mid-1970s, all Platinum made an expansion play for the venerated Chess Records catalog. But how about I write two buts? Please, that's my favorite, one of my favorite parts of this, so you put in as many as you want. When the Robinsons couldn't monetize the assets, however... That partnership ended in litigation. Oh. Compounding their troubles, Joe's under-the-table dealings resulted in a payola investigation and a conviction for tax evasion, driving all Platinum's artists to flee rather than forfeit their careers. (sighs) And by the end of the decade, all Platinum had filed for bankruptcy. So put the party music on. Yeah, party music. Right. <laughs> and let's not forget the mob money. I'm sure that went over oh. great with the mob. Wow. <laughs> it went over great that they couldn't uh, make some, good on uh, their... Uh, some lovely platinum records you got, dude. It'd be a yeah. shame if something would happen to them. Shame if they would go back to gold. Yeah. <laughs> Smashed them things into little golden bits. <laughs> See? Your mug. I was trying to think of some way bronze shoes instead of cement shoes. Bronze shoes is like baby shoes. I know. <laughs> <Is> it working? <laughs> I'm gonna steal your baby shoes, see, but not until after they're bronzed. Step one: bronze your shoes. It's the only precious metal I'm gonna get out of this damned investment. I'm gonna need you to bronze those shoes before I steal them. <laughs> Paola, tax evasion, bankruptcy. It was this confluence of events that found Robinson staring uncomfortably at DJ Lovebug Starsky at that hip-hop party in Harlem World in 1979. You know, put this on wax. It seems like forever ago I told you about it. I paused for some lengthy amount of time while Cat Lynch sugared her neighbor. You know, important stuff. <laughs> you can't. Anyway, we're back to that part of the story. You can't say sugared my neighbor. You're not allowed to say that. Oh. The cat oh. her neighbor. Oh, she poured some sugar on it. <laughs> Without hesitation, Robinson sent her niece, to, her niece, Diane, to the DJ booth mm. to tell Starsky that she'd like to record him. Oh. Bewildered by this request, Starsky flatly refused. Oh. Undeterred. 
Sylvia contacted the DJ MC after the show, but Starsky continued to deny her request. Huh. He did not want to do business with Robinson because of her underworld ties. Oh. Returning to her home across the Hudson River, Robinson began searching for what she learned was called an MC or a rapper. <laughs> it was this quest and not an empty stomach <laughs> that led Robinson to Crispy Crust Pizza <laughs> on West Palisade Avenue in Inglewood, New Jersey. I thought surely Starsky didn't want to do it because Hutch wasn't there. <laughs> Ooh. You know, it's interesting. That's how he got his name. Really? Mm. Yeah, so it's two things. Oh. He, uh, when we're searching for a name, you know, a hip-hop name. Yep. He, uh, I think it was, uh, Herbie the Lovebug was like on TV. You know how they would play that like all the time? Or yeah. He saw that and he's like, okay, wait a second, love bug. And I think he came up with a rhyme. He had a rhyme where he said something about being like Starsky without a hutch. Oh. Mm-hmm. And so then he put those two together and that became oh. his moniker. Nice. Right. In his dining room, he did have a hutch. So technically <laughs> they were together. Uh-huh. So. Hey, first thing when you make it big as a hip hop uh, star. Get Buy a hutch. new hutch. Yeah. 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 And that's well, that's where you put that's where you put all the platinum records and put the, the baby shoes, shoes up there. <laughs> <laughs> Rumor had it that in addition to slices, one employee at Crispy Crust Pizza was serving up hot and fresh rhymes. I just learned my water is not going to be delivered. <gasps> I can do it. <laughs> I can deliver sugar. I can deliver water. <laughs> What's it? Peak water delivery with Uber Eats? Yes. Hmm. Apparently, you've got to spend more than $2. Oh, no. <laughs> As she entered the pizzeria, Robinson spied one particularly large employee rapping to a song playing on a boombox perched nearby. Impressed, Robinson invited the young man, who she would come to know as Big Bank Hank Jackson, Mm. to audition for her in the Oldsmobile 98 parked outside. (laughs) (laughs) Hello. (laughs) I've heard of the casting couch. This is the uh, casting hoopty, I guess. Old mo- <laughs> What's hoopty? Uh-oh. <laughs> I worked so hard for these connections. <laughs> and Kat will get it next week when she's looking it up during the show when she's listening. And Will gets them now. It's the gift that keeps I on I kind of wish... Maybe we could have like an AI. Maybe it's a good use for AI. That as you and I say things, John, images of what we say just appear on a screen for Kat. Oh, that's good. So you say hoopty, hoopty appears. Yeah. And right before that, an Oldsmobile 98 appears. So then it's like, I know what that is. What's an Oldsmobile? Are they they connected? Right. I mean, I've seen Oldsmobiles, but I wasn't paying attention. I don't pay attention to every little detail. Do they have four wheels? <laughs> like other cars? Uh, I only pay attention oh. to 18 wheelers. There you go. <sighs> right, hmm. Never mind. And does Fortune what She's making it? a list of things to look yeah, up. Oh, for cry- Is that what you're doing? I No, I'm looking it up right now. Oh, she's looking right now. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I think I have we're doing a show. These. 
John, John. I think I have again, one of these. I'm not hitting that thing, but it's because of cat, right? I mean, I'm sorry. I'm I made a commitment to you before cat got on. I was like, I'm going to crank this out. We're not going to stop. We're going to get this done. Go. <laughs> you have a live to do. Go, <laughs> go straight to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. And as fortune would have it. Guy, Master G. O'Brien, walked by during Jackson's trial and tossed his name and some rhymes into the hat. Oh. Thrilled, Kangor. Kangor, edit that. Kangor. <laughs> Thrilled. I'm just going to make up stuff now that Cat has to look up. <laughs> Thrilled, Robinson invited them to her mansion for further discussion. There. They were joined by. Point of order. I need clarification. Yeah. Did I misunderstand that the mm-hmm. Oldsmobile audition, yeah. is it an actual musical audition going on <laughs> or is it a audition going on? In no. The yeah, really. She, yeah. They invited him outside uh-huh. and actually her son, it's her son's car. Her son was there too. Uh-huh. He came out with his pizza, his flower covered apron. Okay. Okay. Sat in the back of the Oldsmobile and wrapped for them. Oh, okay. I thought mm-hmm. this was like a casting couch situation. Like, come yeah, out no, to my Oldsmobile like... for an audition. Yeah, no. And I was no. very confused. And I'm like, and then his buddy swung by, like, hey, me next. Like, he's throwing his hat in yeah. the ring. Yeah. <laughs> it's called the Sugar Hill Gang. Looking, looking good in that old. Right. <laughs> Dibs. <laughs> Dibs on the hoopty. <laughs> That doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but it does. Yeah, so it's a real audition. Okay. All right. I'm happy to know that. So then, I was confused. Yeah, and it's further, you know, confounding, I guess, because I said then she invites him to her house. But yeah, no, there's no euphemisms here. This is literally what happened. Okay. All right. That's just my well, filthy mind. Minus some license. Sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so they, she invites him uh, to her mansion for further yes, discussion. Yes. Okay. There, they were joined by Wonder Mike Wright. A homeless man who had been rapping for just two months when he heard of Robinson's auditions. Oh. And while Robinson intended to sign only one rapper, she was unable to choose. So she dubbed the entire trio the Sugar Hill Gang. <gasps> Sugar! <laughs> <laughs> Why would you do a callback to something that's clearly getting edited out? John is exactly what I was thinking. Now you just make it so much more complicated. So much more editing I have to do. You can cut me out. I was like, look, I love Cat. You know that. And I don't want Cat to ever not be Cat. But can we, is there a way that we can just give her a little coaching on like what makes a good callback? You know, like things that are in the show. That's an excellent thing to call back to. You can do a call back to the part when you were off the microphone. Like, we didn't hear that part. Uh, cup and a half, now two cups. Now this all has to stay in. You know that. I'm yeah. so sorry. There you go. No, don't be sorry. Never be sorry. With rappers in place, Robinson was missing a critical element. A DJ. And while she may not have understood how Starsky's live backing track was created, she knew she needed one long-ass version of an instrumental to serve as the bed for her new music group. To emulate the technique pioneered by DJ Cool Herc years earlier, Mm. one that could extend the break of a song ad infinitum, Mm -hmm. Robinson did what she had done for countless previous tracks. She employed a band. Robinson directed positive force. Now that's not like uh, what uh, you know, like D. D. Wallace does. 
Oh, right. Directing Positive Force. Positive Force is the name of a band. Is the name of a band. Okay. okay. All right. It could be both. Robinson directed Positive Force. <laughs> you could direct Positive Force toward the members of Positive Force. <sighs> Recent signees to her nascent Sugar Hill Records to lay down a track. And while they would parrot a hit song, the performance demanded by Robinson would differ than that of the original band than that of the original bands in two ways. One, imperceptible. Another, unmistakable. I got really excited when I heard there was a parrot and that it was really just a... <laughs> I saw your eyes go when I was like... It was, it was a verb, not a noun. I was very upset. That's okay, though. Still fascinating. And, and I mouthed parrot. I went... I like... Because I didn't want to say it out loud because then I might get in trouble. Because <laughs> you wouldn't get in trouble for secret... Gestures and <laughs> having decided to forego college in 1979, 17 year old Chip Sheeran traveled from his North Carolina home to visit a friend in New Jersey. Once there, Sheeran's friend invited Sheeran to tour Sugar Hill's production studio. Mm -hmm. While Sheeran was fascinated to see how records were pressed into vinyl, the skilled bass player became part of the record-producing machine itself. Mm. As it turned out, Robinson needed a bassist. Mm -hmm. She asked Sheeran if he could play Good Times. <laughs> a fan of chic bassist Bernard Edwards, mm -hmm. Sheeran answered in the affirmative. Grateful, Robinson asked if Sheeran could play it, but slightly differently. <laughs> <laughs> Uncertain about this unusual request, Sheeran agreed. Mm. He would play the infamous riff on the downbeat rather than the upbeat. And, Robinson added, I need you to play it for 15 minutes without interruption. <laughs> so what I need is I need this riff, but I need it legally distinguishable from the one I want to steal. So right. go. Right. <laughs> All right. So John, you know, both of you guys obviously are a fan of music. John, you, you've, yep. you've demonstrated a, uh, having a, an ability to be able to determine when certain notes fall in a certain measure. Uh, when we talked about uh, that song, uh, Song of the Summer or whatever that was. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Yeah. Um, so yeah. here, I've got the bass from A Good Time and the bass from Rapper's Delight Isolated. Oh. Can okay. we tell if he's playing one on the downbeat versus uh, Bernard Edwards playing on the upbeat? All right, so okay. first is uh, Good Times here. Let's listen. All right, now here is uh, uh, Chip Sheeran's version for Rapper's Delight. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> are they indistinguishable? I mean, it, except for maybe a couple of like pickups in there or something, little pickup notes or something. Yeah. It sounds identical to me yeah. and I wouldn't be able to tell the difference other than just like the timber of the recording. It just, mm. yeah, I, yeah. I think, you know, I read Sheeran t talking about this a little, at length a little bit. And what he said was Edwards anticipates, you know, so he's just coming in a little bit before the beat. 
<laughs> Whereas he, it seems like he's, you know, he's hitting it on. He's the, hitting, he's yeah, right so. on it. He's like, he's like a percussionist. Yeah. He's like right That's on the beat. That's kind of like moment, the distinction right? he made. Yeah. But Edwards is anticipating so slightly. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I lined this up on a click track just to see. It's so slight. Oh. I mean. <laughs> just days later, the Sugar Hill Gang stepped up to the microphones. And after just one take, Rapper's Delight was complete. Mm. Refusing to edit the 15 minute track for length <laughs> Robinson found it difficult <laughs> to find a radio station willing to play it <laughs> What did I miss? Can't, what, why, why is it funny? I know why it's funny to yeah. me Why is it funny it, to you? Yeah. Um, it just made me think of us recording. That's exactly what I was thinking. Oh. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> Will was resistant to edit down, so it was a two-hour true crime podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the stations would not play, so we had to publish independently. <laughs> I thought you got. I thought you were referring to um, your your uh, show that you did by yourself. That well, sent to all me. all of them, yes. <laughs> That one that's in particular, funny. for sure. I didn't even think about that. Yeah, how we do this yeah. in general. That just tells me it's that's not the my one, fault this week. John. That's the one Will's thinking about. He he's blameless on the shows go along when he's here, but the one where he's not here, problem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I got it. I understood. Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Finally, Jim Gates, a jock at W E S L in St. Louis, St. Louis. Louis? Both. Yes. Missouri. Yes. And St. Louis Mm -hmm. spun the lengthy song, and success immediately followed. Mm. While orders flooded the small New Jersey record label, stations throughout the country began playing the track. At its peak, production hustled to press more than 50,000 copies per day. And with 2 million units sold within just a few weeks, the song reached 36 on the top 40 the first hip-hop record to do so. Wow. But the overwhelming success also brought some unwanted attention Mm. from those from whom the song had been stolen. (laughs) That's what you get. A couple of interesting asides here. Uh, The record apparently was never certified gold, even though it sold a lot. Oh, because Joe Robinson didn't want to pay the RIAA the fee. What? Apparently you have to pay a percentage of your profits, like wow. 2% or 1% in order to get those certifications. Oh my gosh. Oh, wow. he didn't I didn't it, realize so. that. Wow. I, I didn't know that. First, that's a scam. Huh. Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> huh. Second, as many as he's selling, you'd think you'd want it. So what's yeah, the benefit yeah. of that other than being able to have the bragging rights? Because you, yeah. you can slap it on your, you know, multi-platinum artist. Now you can yeah. put on your moniker, right? Is that the deal? I think that's it. Like the that's Academy it. Awards, right? I mean, Oscar your, your, nominee. your uh, fee right. goes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Your bid or whatever you call it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Huh. Um, well, there was one other aside I wanted to give you guys and I can't remember what it was. Uh, I'll leave it at that. On September 20th, 1979, Chic performed a concert at New York Disco's at New York Disco Bonds with New Wave band Blondie. Ah. Also present was future name check in Blondie's Rapture, Fab Five Freddy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and when Bernard Edwards finally dropped the bass line to good times, mm-hmm. Freddy seized the stage to rap 
surprising the band and thrilling the audience. <laughs> Chic founding member Niall Rogers, who had only witnessed rap for the first time weeks earlier, was equally charmed. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, however, Rogers' opinion changed. <laughs> Just a few months later, while visiting the Midtown Manhattan Dance Club Leviticus, Rogers was excited to hear the opening bass line of his hit blasting through the hall's speakers. <laughs> but when Rogers heard Wonder Mike's now iconic opening line, <clears throat> Rogers was enraged. <gasps> no. What he heard was not a test. <laughs> <laughs> not People will get there, they won't get it. If they get it, they deserve to. A test? <laughs> what? What does that mean, not a test? Okay, I'm going to play this. I'll play this for you, right, Kenny? Oh, you mean not the test like that we did. <laughs> now what you hear is not a test. I'm a rapping to the beat. It's his first line, the first line of this. I, yeah, I didn't have that memorized. Put it on the list. I know the line, the hip hop, the hippity hop, and the hip hop, but you know that one. <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure you know it? You sure? No, I don't actually. <laughs> I thought it was from the Easter Bunny song. Yeah, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Bok, bok. <laughs> Rogers and chic bassist Bernard Edwards quickly contacted their lawyer. Mm. And when the Robinsons scoffed at a deal, Sugar Hill's chief investor, Morris Levy, who had ties to the Genovese crime family Ooh. and was later convicted of extortion, intervened. Because even though he did all those bad things, he was still a great guy. <laughs> he was an outstanding citizen. <laughs> Apparently. Hey, that don't make him a bad person. He killed a few yeah. dudes. That don't make him a bad person. I could have taken your baby shoes that time, remember? Yeah. Now. It's a perfect spot on my hutch for him, but I left him be. Now, it's true they weren't bronzed yet, but still. They still had baby feet in them. Oh, no. I let you keep the baby on that other time when I took the shoes. Now, why you had your baby wearing bronze shoes, I don't know. That looks really uncomfortable. Yeah. Take a long walk off a short pier wearing him. <laughs> now, it's a baby, so it's going to take a long time for them to get to the end. Yeah, it's, 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 a, it's take a long crawl off a short pier then. What do you mean the baby can't walk yet? <laughs> Why the hell is he wearing right, shoes one. then? <laughs> Booties is fine. <laughs> Shortly thereafter, however... <laughs> they're suing, they're suing, right? Blah, 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 Page blah, 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 blah. two. Oh, yeah, here we go. Uh, oh, yeah, page two. <laughs> John, you're so lucky. We're, we're almost <laughs> oh, Actually, we're, half, we're, we're halfway. <laughs> oh, okay, we're, uh, convicted of extortion. Okay. <laughs> Ultimately, a settlement avoided a trial mm. and gave Rogers and Edwards writing credits and royalties. Nice. Not everyone from whom Sugar Hill stole, however, <laughs> was so lucky. Yeah. Even though it was a mainstream success, the consensus from Uptown Rhyme purists was that the popular track was a joke. Oh. The group's <gasps> label mate, Melly Mel, of the celebrated Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five, yeah. dismissed the Sugar Hill gang as fake Garden State interlopers. <gasps> Ooh. Oh no. <laughs> Worst of all, one of the rappers featured on the breakthrough track had committed high treason oh. in the hip-hop community. Uh. He had stolen another's rhymes. <gasps> no. 
Biting on my rhymes, stealing my style, biting on the ice like a crocodile. Mm-hmm. Big iced tea mm-hmm. fan. Hmm. I am a huge iced tea fan. Yes. Kat, who would you say that you're like you're a fan of hip hop wise? Me? Yeah. Um I would say Run DMC. That's a good one. Yeah. Salt and pepper. Salt and pepper. <laughs> yes, that's exactly how did you know that's what I was thinking? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> um, do you guys remember when uh Rapper's Delight came out? I don't remember, remember hearing it back then. I don't remember I don't, hearing I don't, it. I don't. Back then. I was uh I was still living inside of my country music bubble at the time and I wasn't aware of other music. <laughs> I remember. I remember it was like, you know, uh, it was something we'd play at parties, you know, family parties. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was young still. Wow. And I wasn't actually DJing yet, but I was DJing sort of because mm-hmm. of something I was always drawn to. Yeah. I do remember being at, uh, we would, in the summer, we would go down the Jersey Shore. My aunt had a house there and we would, uh, she had a pool and she'd live near the beach. Uh-huh. And, my mom's family, which is enormous, yeah. you know, would gather there. And, and uh, I remember put, we put a speaker in the window of the second floor bedroom, my cousin's bedroom, and it had a turntable and we would, you know, DJ. That's so And cool. that was one of the records. Jam mm-hmm. uh, on it. Nucleus. <gasps> Nucleus. Oh, I like that one. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There was a bunch mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. early hip hop records that we had that we got Nice. Part of your best ability. No further. Yeah. Don't hurt yourself. Just, no. just mm-hmm. your best ability. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's very encouraging. I know. I love it. <laughs> and it's boogie, just you know, whatever. It is people boogie. Are gonna it is boogie. Oh, boogie to your best ability. People are going to complain. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> I was paraphrasing. In 1979, before the release of Rapper's Delight, the hip hop pioneer Grandmaster Kaz, who went by DJ Casanova Fly at the time, oh. was the leader of the Mighty Force crew, noting that other rap acts like Funky Four Plus One and Grandmaster Flash had managers who helped them book gigs. Kaz sought representation. Okay. We're losing John. What's going on? Well, yeah, what's We're thinking we should call you the Funky Five. No, no, no. Hear me out. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, we got to show up that we can do math. I'm thinking Funky Four plus something. I, I'm not I'm working it out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still workshopping it, but I'll get back to you. Not Funky oh, look, Five. We're the no. Funky Floor Four. We got another member. What are we going to do now? <laughs> The Funky Four and Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell, you're in the Funky Four now. The Funky Four and Jeff and Mitchell. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Funky Four. <laughs> Sorry. I like how I, uh, yeah. Don't apologize. I go along with your jokes, but I also know the reason. So I'll just tell yes. you guys. So the Funky Four is four dudes and one woman. Okay. And the plus she, one was She wasn't woman. funky oh. enough Shaw to Rock. be considered in the Funky Four? No. And I'll tell you something. Huh. It's the Funky later. Four but and Brenda. Her <laughs> name was Sharon, but she went by Sharrock. Oh, I just learned that you yesterday. Did. I think it was yesterday because I started watching the um, Ladies First, the, the oh, Women okay. of Hip Hop. Yeah, yeah, yep. I watched the first mm-hmm. episode yesterday and uh, oh, the second yeah. one today. And yeah, that's uh, ah. ringing a bell in my head. Yeah, yeah. she was yeah. right as the first female rapper. Certainly, that's you know recorded and well known. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So there you go. She's the plus one. Anyway, where we go? Anyway, he wanted a manager, so he wanted a manager too. Mm-hmm. So he offered the role to the bouncer whom he had befriended at a hip hop club in the Bronx. Oh, but of course, you've got <laughs> arms and legs and eyes and a mouth. <laughs> you could do that job too. Why not? <laughs> And Perfect. Hank Jackson accepted. Ah. Oh. Hank Jackson was the bouncer. Yeah. Okay. All right. Success on his mind, Jackson immediately borrowed money from his parents. 
to purchase a sound system for his new clients. Hmm. To repay the parental loan, however, Jackson took another job, one closer to his home, one at Crispy Crust Pizza in Englewood, New Jersey. Boom! Oh my gosh. <laughs> you know, yep. that pizza place with an Oldsmobile parked out front. Right, we, shady Oldsmobiles and lady. Hoop-dee. Yes. Pulling people off the street. That's right. The Hoopty Mobile. Correct. I need someone to audition for me. <laughs> Excited about his new managerial prospect. Hmm. Big Bank Hank Jackson mm-hmm. brought two items to work each day. A boombox mm-hmm. and a cassette featuring his clients, DJ Casanova Fly and the Mighty Force. Ah. While cutting circles into eight rather similarly sliced, similarly sized pieces. Pieces. <laughs> pieces. Jackson rapped along to the lyrics spit by cows on the tape. Mm, okay. It was there that Sylvia Robinson first saw Big Bank performing. Uh, yeah, okay, yep, yep. Only she didn't realize that he was singing along with another's rhyme. Oh, okay. She may never have known, in spite of one very obvious clue. Oh. I'm going to play you guys the clue. Okay. This is a clip from Rapper's Delight. Okay. This is Big Bank Hank Jackson singing. Okay. Sing that song. Check it out. I'm the C-A-S-N, the O-V-A, and the rest is F-L-Y. You see, I go by the code of the doctor of the mix, and these reasons I'll tell you why. You see, I'm Or fly, or what, yeah. He spelled out Kaz, right? Yeah. Yeah, why would a guy who right. calls himself Big Bang yeah, yeah, yeah. spell out right. Sat? Yeah, 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 you get yeah. away with it because Casanova means lover. Okay. So he yeah, could yeah, be yeah. playing off of that, but but uh, mm-hmm. I suspect that's not the case in the here. <laughs> <laughs> While Master G spelled his own name out in Rapper's Delight, as was and is the practice of many rappers, uh-huh. Jackson, who went by Big Bank... <laughs> Hank spelled out Casanova Fly, the moniker of his client. (laughs) And while Sylvia Robinson is credited on the hit as a songwriter, something she did with all of her acts, Grandmaster Kaz is not. Still not. And still not. I, I don't. I don't think he's still. Oosh. How about that? Yeah. So Kaz, there's a few different versions of this story, but ultimately Hank just uses lyrics that Kaz wrote. Kaz apparently wrote. Books and books and books of lyrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Some versions of the story is Hank approached him and said, I need lyrics. And he gave him his book and said, here. Wow. Uh, he's like, I'm going to record a record. And this, there was no genre of hip hop at the time. It's like, fine, who cares? No one's, nothing's going to happen. Yeah. It's not going to amount to anything. Right. You know what doesn't oh. make any sense though? <laughs> I mean, it's not like his yeah. name is, you know, Fred Orange. His name is Big Bank Hank. There's tons of rhyming yeah. opportunities. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Even if you just wanted to take the, the spell out your name and say who I am mm-hmm. kind of rhyme. Yeah. I mean, yeah. there are all kinds of things that rhyme with bank and Hank that you could absolutely mm-hmm. redo, but Tank. it just didn't, didn't occur to him. Thank. <laughs> all right. Spank, John, John Freestank. It's just, it's all out there. It's all I'm doing modern rap. My, my fault. Am I supposed to rap right now? Yeah, they're going to freestyle with Ang. Oh, wait. I thought it was supposed to be about me. Um, I don't know. So- Spell out John's name. All right, whatever. Yeah. I'm Big Something Bang Hank. I need a drink. Called up Uber, but they stank. I ain't shooting yeah. blanks. 
I even looped it back to the Uber in the water, but it was all missed. It's sad. You'll get it uh, again. Is that making it in? I'm going to add this back to what you were saying. No, forget <laughs> Can you space it out so the cadence is correct and auto tune? Oh, yeah, I'll do all that. Thanks. I'm going to do all that. I'm already doing a lot to deal with cats, then. <laughs> so why not? Just cut it out. We'll just call it Sunday. <laughs> you, it. you can enjoy my song later instead. So, okay, sorry. Oh, there you go. In spite of its detractors, Sugar Hill Records was on top. Mm. Any street cred the label may have initially lost was earned quickly with the release of 1981's groundbreaking The Adventures of Grandmaster Flash on the Wheels of Steel, mm. the first record to showcase the turntablism that was a hallmark of hip-hop. Yeah. And by 1982, Sugar Hill's roster included rap pioneers like Melly Mel, The Treacherous Three, mm. The Funky Four Plus One, <laughs> and Spoonie G. Uh-huh. Soon, the Sugar Hill Review hit the road on an international tour. Whoa. The first of its kind. Wow. Robinson, Robinson's artists, which also included gold-selling trio The Sequence, mm. were now opening arena gigs for R&B and funk stars, mm. like the OJs, Parliament Funkadelic, and Rick James. Oh. But the label's momentum quickly cratered. <laughs> I refuse to get water. Yeah. We're short on time. Okay, right. okay. The company cratered. It sounds like they're poised on the precipice of greatness here. <laughs> they got yeah. a hint. Well, yeah. They're touring. They're opening for big names. Mm-hmm. Oh, no. The Sugar Hill cratered. Oh. Mm. <sighs> You're right, John. That's the exact point to the next part here, and then we're almost done here. <laughs> With the overwhelming success of the genre-creating rapper's delight, mm-hmm. The industry Robinson had built was hers to lose. Oh. And following a series of bad financial needles Uh and a pattern and practice of swindling her artists, that is precisely what she did. Oh, man. Not Mm -mm. included in any of the group's profits or royalties, the trio who helped launch the label was no better off than before they had upped jumped the boogie to the beat. <laughs> Within about five years of traveling the world, Mike was forced to paint houses to make ends oh, meet. Oh my gosh. While G was penniless. Wait, they just did all that performing and traveling and yeah, everything? They didn't get down, yeah, they weren't cut in on the profits Nothing. or royalties. Wow. Mm. Oh, that stinks. And while she mm. may not have been empathetic, a series of lawsuits would teach Robinson how being broke is no joke <laughs> and how it's hard as hell to fight it. So don't do it. Ooh, nice. <laughs> nice. Oh. Yeah, they didn't, not included in this list because, yeah, they, look, they were important, certainly important to hip hop. Yeah. But the message, you know, the message came out there in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a whole story about the message, too, because, you know, the message is released as Grandmaster and Melly Mel or Grandmaster Flash and the Furious Five. Mm-hmm. But it was a song written by another guy who, mm-hmm. you know, was part of, uh, I think, the house band at Stryker Hill. Huh. And he wrote the lyrics and they asked um, Melly Mel and Fierce Five, they didn't want to do it. Mm. Somehow Sylvia Robinson pressured him into doing huh. it. So he did use some lyrics he already had and they put the message together. Uh-huh. But other than Melly Mel, none of the Furious Five are involved in the message. You know, one of the most hmm. seminal songs to hip hop 
that's credited to them. It's actually written mostly by this other dude who raps it. He raps it himself mm-hmm. to a guy named Duke, uh, Duke Booty. And I guess you have to attribute that to just the the <laughs> embryonic state that hip hop was in. Mm-hmm. Was, do you think it was all attributed to the fact that people just think this is a novelty and we're just, we're having a laugh and therefore let's not treat it like actual artists and music or... No, I think, I think based on that short experience, you know, we gave that one example of when Mil- when Sylvia was part of Mickey and Sylvia. And yeah. the, I and think during her own experience, I'm guessing, and her being slighted by these acts like, the, you know, Ike and Tina Turner mm-hmm. and a bunch of other folks that she was involved in production of and not getting credit because she was a woman for some other yeah. reason. Yeah. She learned bad lessons or was, you know, learned, thought that that's how the, you right. learn things. I'm going to screw yeah. you before you screw yeah. me kind of mentality. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was the examples that she had been come up with. Well, you know what? <laughs> yeah, not yeah. to go off on a big tangent, watch the documentary, The Ladies First, but yeah, yeah. There, there there, was a lot of um, rough stuff that the women mm-hmm. had to- I'm sure. Uh, oh, yeah. Learn yeah, to do, had to overcome. Mm-hmm. And, and, and while we've been talking, I'm thinking like, yep. well, the men were already doing this. And, you know, because <laughs> he or she is a woman doing it, is, mm-hmm. does that make it more remarkable or less acceptable somehow? I'm just trying to- yeah, Look at the I gender bias so. thing here. I think it was just shitty all around. I, I mean, yeah. Uh, yeah. Huh. Is, is this the tour de France of, uh, of hip hop and music? Right. It's like yeah. everybody's doing it. If I don't do it, I can't keep up. You got to dope. Right. I so maybe, you, yeah. maybe the, the thought was yeah. like, well, you know, the music business is shady. I've got to be shady or I'm not gonna be able to get ahead. Yeah. He thinks she's just right. don't right. a bag crap. Yeah. I don't know. It's a trap. Well, it's a trap. It it's a trap. Yeah. While, while I'm focusing mostly on Sylvia in, in regard, mm-hmm. you know, she and her husband were, and her family, her son, her, her kids were involved yeah, too in the business. True. They were yeah. all yeah. part of this. Yeah. Now, Sylvia though herself, of course, was the one who had this thought of taking mm-hmm. this and putting it on record. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, she's ultimately credited with being the, you know, sort of the, you know, mother of hip hop in that regard. Mm-hmm. Uh, certainly mm-hmm. rapping and putting it in. But mm-hmm. her husband wasn't any more respected. Sure. Than, you know, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In fact, he was a numbers runner before they even met. And so he had some, uh, you know, shading dealings before they even married. Uh Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. 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 While rappers delight interpolated good times to the ultimate fortune of Sheik's founder, Interpolation. Melly Mel's white lines went further. Mm. That track, which reached number five on Billboard's dance chart, borrowed the melody Music, um, some of the lyrics from Liquid Liquid's Cavern. <laughs> like Niall Rogers before them, the band sued, mm-hmm. only with very different results. Hmm. When death threats against the owner of the band's record label failed, hmm. which may have may have included a machete, there's different accounts mm-hmm. where guy, guy wielding machetes on the street threatening people at this. Wow! Place. Whoa. Wow! Huh? But they did tell him, apparently, there is an account where m- multiple folks agreed on that the owner of this record label was told, we know where you live. <sighs> this is by Sugar Hill Proxy. Just, mm-hmm. just a benign mm-hmm. little mention. Just so you know, if ever you need help, you need sugar or something, we know where you live. Just give me a call. <laughs> oh, <laughs> nice. <laughs> Royalties. <laughs> Thanks, John. Uh, <laughs> when the death threats against the owner of the band's record label failed, the case dragged on for 15 months. Wow. And while the court ultimately awarded the plaintiffs $660,000 in damages and legal fees, Sugar Hill filed for bankruptcy before being forced to pay. A day after the IRS moved to seize the label's assets 
for the alleged non-payment of more than $200,000 in payroll taxes. Wow. Indeed, the money gets divided. The women get excited. Yeah, Kat, there you go. Now I'm broken. It's no joke. Is art has held to fight it. Don't buy it. I think this is the end. Oh, yeah, this is the end. Here we reach the end. Oh, Here we go. Ooh. While their own underhanded financial dealings had tarnished their reputation, an evolving landscape led by the harder beats and rhymes swagger of Run DMC mm-hmm. pushed Sugar Hill to the brink. Death Jam Records, with its growing all-star roster that included LL Cool J, Beastie Boys, and Public Enemy, mm-hmm. made the New Jersey label obsolete. Uh-huh. And after 26 gold records, huh, how would they know they had gold records? They didn't get them certified, though. Huh, right. Maybe they just knew by the count. It's by a count, so <laughs> they just, could just know it. Here we go. Somebody's, somebody's going tick, 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 tick. <laughs> after 26 gold records, the Robinsons lifted the needle off of Sugar Hill in 1986. Nice metaphor Ouch. there. Mm. In 2011, mm. nearly a decade after Joe had passed, Sylvia Robinson died at age 76. Mm. Ten years later, she was voted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Wow. Okay. Joining her former artists, Grandmaster Flash mm-hmm. and the Furry Furious the Five. Furry, and the Furries. The furry five. Grandmaster Flash and the Furries. <laughs> which became the first rap group inducted into the Rock Hall in 2007. Mm. Huh. They were the first. Regardless of her checkered past. One must give props where props are due. <laughs> From Melly Mel to Curtis Blow and Russell Simmons all the way up to Cardi B. Every dollar hip-hop has earned, Robinson made possible. <laughs> and Sugar Hill Records, with its instantly recognizable powder blue candy-striped logo, <laughs> will forever be credited with introducing rap to the masses. Mm-hmm. All right, that's all that. That's all. And wow. Two years later, she was inducted into the Swindlers Hall of Fame. <laughs> she was abducted. Oh, she was inducted. <laughs> I didn't say abducted. I said oh. abducted. <laughs> she was abducted. She was abducted by, by the Swindlers Hall of Fame. By the Swindlers Hall. In of her bronze shoes. <laughs> Replaced on the hutch. <laughs> so, uh, a couple of just quick follow-ups mm-hmm. here. You know, while Anala Rogers initially sued the label, he gained appreciation for rappers light almost immediately. Right. Yeah. Maybe getting cut into the deal made him a, made him Maybe a, that a was more something you appreciate. Yeah. But, but not long after it, not, not long after it it, it uh, broke into the top forty, Sheik started performing their own version in concert, mm-hmm. uh, including you know adding a little uh, their little rap break. I mm. saw them perform it last summer. Right, with Duran yes. Duran, right? Yep, uh, they opened for Duran Duran, and they. Oh. They, yeah, in the middle of good times, they, they do a little bit from Rapper's that's Delight. Awesome. I would love to see that. That's amazing. Yeah. So is that credited as the origin uh, of the rap it. break in pop music then, do you think? How do you mean? Hmm. Well, so, I mean, it's it, it's almost a running joke in pop music that whether you need it or not, a lot of pop music, especially the, the 90s and early 2000s, you had to have a rap break in the middle of it. You had to have a hip hop oh, bit. Oh, 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 I see what right? you're saying. And here, right. since that, since that, right. as much of it was stolen from them, they then kind of reintegrated gotcha. it in and put a rap break in the song huh. that was stolen hmm. from that song. Right, that, right. That might almost be like the origin of the rap break in pop music. That would be interesting to research. Like, what was the first time and how did mm-hmm. it catch on? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I suspect it's not, but that that's yeah. a good theory. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. Uh, and Rogers has since said, quote, as innovative and important as Good Times was, mm-hmm. Rapper's Delight was just as much, if not more so. Yeah. 
Um, also, with regard to Rodgers, you know, I mentioned Chip Sheeran who plays the bass and he made that little change. Yes. yes. You know, he has since met Rogers and knows Rogers. He asked him, so <laughs> did you recognize it? Because I changed it up. <laughs> and Rogers, he said, burst out laughing. Immediately. Immediately. You call that a change up? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Grandmaster Kaz, who seems, has every right to be bitter about what uh, became of Sugar Hill relative to his bank account. Yeah. Doesn't seem to be so. Okay. In fact, uh, he, he shares a story, and I, I wish I had known this. I probably would have done it the last time I was in New York City. Ooh. But he shares a story, uh, many stories about the origin of hip hop, including this, uh, what happened with regard to good times. On tours he gives in New York. Oh. Um, there's a bus tour. There's bus tours run by this company called Hush Tours. You can go to hushtours.com. Mm -hmm. And one of the tours, and there's a few of them, they give are hip hop tours where they go by oh. spots that were pivotal in the history of hip hop and, and throughout New York City. Oh, different oh areas. cool. And one of them, and apparently it's random, so you don't know, or not random, it's scheduled, <laughs> but they don't announce it. Uh -huh. But one of the folks in the, you know, the lineup of folks that they have do it is Kaz. And Kaz often winds up doing the tour. Wow. There's other folks that are mentioned, I think, including Dougie Fresh is one of the tours as okay. well. So there's some other I mean, I, I folks, say it's cool. Know. It's cool as an observer, as a participant. It's not cool mm -hmm. that yeah. that's how he's to make ends meet. Right, yeah. right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, finally, I wanted to mention, because we did bring up Shaw Rock. So mm -hmm. this is actually a story from last year that we missed. Mm -hmm. uh, but the headline, this could be 1980s news easily, hmm. is Sugar Hill Records artist reached settlement with label after nearly 40 years. Mm. Whoa. Really? So Shaw Rock, who I mentioned was the uh, yeah. one of the members of the Funky 4 Plus yes. 1. And known as the first female MC. Yeah. Uh, this is back to, I think, July of 2022, posted a notice on her Facebook saying, we finally won against Sugar Hill Records. Oh. In the early 90s, I worked effortlessly on finding an attorney to take on Sugar uh -huh. Hill. No one wanted to take my case. Mm -hmm. I eventually found a woman who put me in touch with artist rights enforcement in New York City who f fights for artist rights and I became their first hip hop client. Wow. wow. Uh, nice. So fast. So, so she tells a story about how she recorded her first record uh uh, in 19, first rap record in 1979 and by 1980 she was the funky four signed with sugar hill yeah. um but they didn't see any money so she she uh, <laughs> along with she talked uh to furious five mm -hmm. uh she to uh, a member of furious a funky four went on to become a member of the furious five okay. <laughs> mm. so using him they got the funky four and, uh -huh. and using him they also got the furious five and they got some other artists and uh and uh, sued and finally won now they, they weren't able to disclose the the settlement uh -huh. But uh, they seemed uh, very excited about the fact, of course. I mean, that they're going to start seeing some money now. Yeah. So that's it. As long as that might have been, or what or not, uh, that was our show. <laughs> Let's say. And our show was brought to you this week and perhaps every week going forward. Thank you in part to our early adopters like Kathy Burke, Karen Flieger, and Rick Parker. Hmm. Da, da, da. Da, da, da. Thank you, John. I had to change screens. <laughs> you just look bored. You're like, wow. <laughs> I'm looking at the screen. <laughs> I'm watching. I'm reading. I'm looking at the list as you go. <laughs> oh, you're checking me. And thank. Well, I have to pay attention to know when you're going to do it. Be over. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you, especially to our secret of our success level Patreon supporters like mm -hmm. Brandon Greer, Brad Bowman. Mark <laughs> Marcus Taylor, oh, man. Tony Great, Nick Good. Guillory, oh, Nick. Craig Coletta, and John Henderson. Yay! <laughs> awesome. And I have an announcement to make. Uh -oh. We have another uh, uh -oh. supporter joining us. Ah. 
please say hello and give a warm 1980s now welcome to Matt Marino. Well, thank you, Matt Marino, welcome. joining us. Awesome Matt guy. Marino. Yep. Thank awesome. you, Matt. Uh, yeah, thank you so much, man. We are flattered that all of you, uh-huh. including Matt now, uh, I was going to say had the good sense, but that sounds, I'm making a joke out of it, but I'd really be trying to be sincere. <laughs> uh, that you would think, you know, uh, anything of us, really, that you even listen, first of all. <laughs> but second of all, that you share any of your hard-earned income with a bunch of knuckleheads here who just, uh, you know, struggle week by week to make content. Um, <laughs> And Thank you, Matt. Look, the fact that you've listened is a vote of a, a, a confidence. The fact that you're willing to put your money where your, right. you know, your podcast is, is overwhelming. And yes. uh, so thank you so much, Matt, and everybody else for helping us. Yeah. Hey, if you can't spare a nickel or a penny or a dime or anything, I get it. Mm-hmm. Things are tough all over. But uh, you mm-hmm. could just uh, post us a note. Um, and I don't know, do we have any time to read any of these? Maybe Do it. Do you it. Have. Okay. Yeah. Uh, regarding, look, and I got all these, I'm going to share guys are about your episode last week that you did so kindly oh my without, not kindly oh. without me. You did. <laughs> you took over in my absence, my four stop. We stole the keys. <laughs> yeah. Took the car for a spin. With regard to that episode when you talked about the trucking. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lucy wrote, I loved this week's episode. Loved is in all caps. <laughs> I loved this, uh, this episode. I really like listening to knowledgeable people st- talk about stuff they know about regardless of the subject. John told us that's a phenomenon. What is that called? Uh, it's called competency porn. Oh. Competency porn. Look at that. You guys are porn stars. <laughs> uh, competency porn stars. Sorry. <laughs> I was also surpri- surprised at how much trucker culture did affect me in the 70s and 80s. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Sure. It is curious to me, right? That how in the, uh, this was, uh, does this happen still? It must. Mm-hmm. But without the internet, especially, without as connected as we are today, yeah. mm-hmm. that there would be these phenomena that would take over no matter where you live. Yeah. And yeah. trucker culture, it was antithetical to where I live. <laughs> you know, like living in right. the middle of a Nothing city. Nothing to do with yeah. you. Right. Mm-hmm. I don't even see semis unless I was, you know, on a highway somewhere, probably. Well, going to the shore. Like that. You probably saw some, maybe. Or, yeah, you know, yeah. Yeah, traveling yeah. down to the shore. Well, but as we said, it seeped into media and pop culture. Yeah. And in the movies. And yeah. It was being parodied oh, yeah. in Mad Magazine. I mean, it was absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember seeing a, a, you know, a gatefold all about, you know, trucker slang in <laughs> inside of Mad, you know? And I'm like, yep. oh, that's cool. Yep. They're talking about trucking, you know, because. Yep. It's everywhere, even if it wasn't where mm-hmm. you were, it affected you, yeah. so it mattered. Yeah. yeah. It's so cool. <laughs> it's just so cool. It is. Uh, Rick writes, how could you leave out the classic 80s movie Maximum Overdrive? <laughs> do you have something against trucks that try to kill people? I do. Yes, that's why. <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I think it was on the list and we just didn't get to it, but we did have it on the list. I know. Yeah. We yeah. were trying to keep it tight, you know, unlike we're, other yeah. times. John and I, we, we were We don't want to spend the to additional it. 14 <laughs> seconds to talk about that extra movie. <laughs> Oh, now I wish I could have been on that episode with you guys just so I could be like, oh, hang on. Guys, can I deal with something for like 10, 15 minutes right now? Certainly. And when I come back to tell you what it is, you're going to realize it's frivolous. It was just. You see, and we wouldn't mind. We'd be very open and We would be very understanding. Hey, guys, can I give you my feedback about an episode that we did a week ago? Certainly. Hang on. Absolutely. Please do. And then you can get nervous when I start pulling out a lot of pages. <laughs> All right. Hang on a second. I made some right, notes. First thing. Now, there's a few other things, but I'll get to those in a few minutes. Okay. First of all, uh, and Brandon writes first. Well, Brandon wrote a lot. He but sure we'll, did. We'll the, uh, yeah, <laughs> the edited version. He's like, yeah. Uh, first, Kat and John, you both did a wonderful job. This episode oh. made me so happy. Yay. As soon as I got hooked on Smokey and the Bandit, I was all in about CBs. Mm-hmm. Oh. 
Awesome. I think this is a really cool story that Brandon tells us. CB radios were a huge thing still when I was in high school from 95 to 99. Mm-hmm. Now, Brandon explains that he grew up in a small town, 7,000, mm-hmm. population of 7,000. Yep. Uh, so maybe that accounts for it because uh, he says CBs were, st- were how we communicated. Mm-hmm. My end of the generation was the last to communicate that way in small towns. We would meet up at our usual spot in town like no kids have done in years, get something to eat, decide who's riding with who, and then take off into the country among the back roads. Some paved, some gravel, and the CB was our cell phone. Isn't that great? That's so cool. It is. Yeah. I love that. I had a sliver of that experience too, because I told you I had a hand-me-down CB in my Mm -hmm. truck. Not everybody else had one, but the other three guys that did, we were always talking to each other because it was a secret club. It oh, wasn't a tiny man. town. It was a medium-sized town. Yeah. Right. So people, okay. you know, those that did have, I guess, trucker parents or hand-me-down CBs, yeah. we were like this little yeah. private club. Yep. Oh, John, that's so cool. I didn't know that. <laughs> that little tidbit there. Oh, so cool. <laughs> I'm envious. Uh, obviously, you know, uh, not going back in time, but I remember being a kid and being jealous of CBs mm-hmm. and walkie-talkies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we would try to... Mm-hmm. We would try to rig up something to be able to communicate, you know, over distances like that. None of the things ever worked. String. But uh, that, that is cool. I would have been all over mm-hmm. that. Absolutely. Yep. Secret club. <laughs> all right. Hey, we will welcome you back to our secret club here. Oh. Or maybe, I guess we don't want it to be secret. No. Get much it's a public club. Or spread the word. <laughs> spread the word. Tell them it's secret. And then maybe they'll listen because they want to be part of it. Ooh, Exclusivity. Yeah, Love there it. you go. All right. Hey, we will talk to you next time on 1980s Now. Over and out. Boogie to the boogie the beat.